0: What a great ministry. How many of you have received a Gideon Bible at some point in your life? At Some point in your life you received. Most of us in this room have been impacted because of this ministry. There may even be somebody in this room that came to know Christ as a result of receiving one of those Bibles. Let's pray right now just for Gideon International. Father God, we come before you this morning just once again, Father, thanking you you for the privilege it is to be in your house. Father, thank you for, for Gideon International. Father, thank you that this is a ministry that literally reaches around this world. In 200 different countries, in over 100 different languages, people have access to the Word of God today that might not if it wasn't for ministries like Gideon International. Father, we pray for this ministry. We pray for these men that have come to share with us this morning. Father, I know that every um, week there are representatives from this ministry in different churches across Collin County, across the state of Texas, across the United States, and literally around this world. We pray that you'll bless their outreach efforts. And Father, I pray that as a church that you will allow us to partner with ministries like this. I pray that in this church, Lord, there may be men that will rise up to be a future Gideon, young people in this room that will rise up and be a future Gideon. Retired men in this room that will rise up and be a future Gideon. Lord, we pray that you will just bless this ministry. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless us now as we turn to your word. Father, we pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago I challenged... Us all to pray a big prayer this coming year. That prayer was the same prayer that Billy Graham prayed when he was in college and visiting the home of theologian and evangelist Charles Wesley. He got down on his knees inside of that rectory in England and he prayed, Lord, do it again. What did he want the Lord to do again? He wanted the Lord to use him like he had used the great men and women of faith that preceded him in death. He wanted the Lord to use him to impact this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted the Lord to use him like he used men like Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, who while standing on trial before the religious authorities and the Holy Roman Emperor, he was under such conviction that he made this statement. He said, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God, help me. Luther's unwavering commitment to the Word of God as the only authority for his life led him to leave the Catholic Church and begin the Protestant Reformation. My prayer for this year for all of us in this room is that the Lord will use us as we lead with conviction and pray with earnestness that the Lord will use us to eternally impact impact our families' lives, our children's lives, the lives that the Lord allows us to do life with our coworkers and even one another in this room. Let's pray big prayers this Lord for the Lord this year for the Lord to do supernatural things in and through us. Lord, do it again. Is the prayer that I have been praying as we have now 21 days into this new year. This morning we're continuing our Matthew sermon series. And as we have walked through this great book, we have seen Jesus take this ragamuffin group of disciples and begin to mold them and shape them into the men that he created them to be, the future leaders of the New Testament church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 together. I apologize. Um, in your bulletin, you do not have an outline. You just have a place to put sermon notes. I actually had the sermon Finished before Danny and I left to go on vacation last week, but I forgot to send it to Bill. And um, so I apologize for that, but we will have an outline here up on the board and you'll be able to take notes in, in your bulletin this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at two different points. We're going to be looking at another showdown between Jesus and the religious leaders, and we'll also be looking at a call. From Jesus to His disciples, to be on their guard. So notice with me, Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12, we read this. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, "When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red." And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, what are you discussing among yourselves? The fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not, I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Our message point this morning is this. Be on your guard against outside influences. Be on your guard against the outside influences. Faith family, we know this, but there are many people outside the doors of this church that oppose what we do inside the doors of this church. So we need to be on our guard at all times because our outside influence is trying to prevent us from doing what we do here. And we know that happens across this world where the church is literally shut down or burned down because of pastors and Faith families coming together to study God's word and to preach from God's word and to be transformed by God's Word. Every single week we hear about the oppression that's taken place outside the doors of churches. So we need to be on our guard. Notice our first point this morning. It is this: The spiritually blind religious leaders, the spiritually blind religious leaders, we see in verse one. Just the very first part of the first sentence says, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came. What we see with this verse is two religious groups at opposite ends of the spectrum come together. If you would have been a spectator and you would have overseen what had happened that day, if you would have seen that, Then you would have been blown away by what took part. There would not have been two groups that opposed each other more than the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They hated each other and they hated what each other stood for. They were literally on opposite ends of the theological aisle as well as the political aisle. They would be kind of in a, in a, in a sense, we, we think of modern day Democrats and Republicans, especially what we're seeing going on in Washington right now, there is a perceived hatred between these two groups. Well, when it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there was a perceived hatred between these two groups. But these two groups come together this morning, and they come together for one reason and one reason only, and that is to defeat the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to destroy him. They want to destroy his work. And they are willing to come together and work together to accomplish that purpose. Notice their demand. In verse 1 again, we read, And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. They want a sign. It just floors me that they want to see another sign from from the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it for months. These men have followed Jesus everywhere he has gone. Our representatives from these groups have followed the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere that he has gone. They have seen him heal hundreds, if not thousands of people. Most of them had witnessed with their very eyes and they could not argue the truth, the truth that the blind could see. That the deaf could hear, that the lame could walk, and that the mute could speak. They witnessed Jesus demonstrate his authority over disease, over sin, over salvation, and over demons. They witnessed Jesus multiply the bread and the loaves and feed literally thousands of people at each of those two different settings. They heard the testimony of how Jesus walked on water and calmed the raging storms. Yet they still ask for a sign. The sign they want this time, though, they claim, is not just a earthly sign, they want a heavenly sign. Why is it that they want a heavenly sign? Why was all of the miracles that Jesus had done, why was that not enough? Because they believed that the only that 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 demons could perform miracles. Okay? So they wanted a heavenly sign. You remember back in Matthew chapter 12 um in verse 24 we we read of the religious leaders accusing Jesus of he- healing by the power of Satan. In Matthew 12:24 we read but when the Pharisees heard it they said it is only by Beelzebub the prince of demons that this man cast out demons. So in this instance, they are looking for a heavenly sign, a sign that can only be explained as being from God Almighty. Maybe they're looking for, the, um, for a sign like Elijah experienced when he called down fire from heaven. Or maybe they were looking for a sign um, for Jesus to, um, to, to, to call down plagues upon the Romans. Or maybe they wanted Jesus to part the Sea of Galilee or dry up the Jordan River again. They wanted a sign. But even if they would have been given such a sign, they most likely would not have believed. Think about it, okay? We've looked at this and we've talked about this, but it's been a while since we visited uh, Matthew together. These men had witnessed Jesus perform hundreds of of science. And never in all of human history had man been graced with the very presence of God in the flesh. They were absolutely oblivious to who Jesus was. And as we looked at many weeks ago, it is very possible that there was not a single person left in all of the land of Galilee that wanted to be healed that was left unhealed. These religious scholars, men who were very versed in the scriptures, failed to realize that the embodiment of the heavenly sign that they were looking for was standing right in front of them. He was the incarnate God. He left heaven full of all of its glory and came and dwelt among us. He was the very word of God. He spoke all of creation into existence. He was the one responsible for every breath those religious leaders breathed. These religious leaders lived in such a perpetual state of darkness that the very light that had come to eradicate the darkness from within the heart of man was absolutely missed. May it not be said of any of us in this room... If you are not a believer in this room, may it not be said of you one day that you are oblivious to the light that came to eradicate the darkness from your life. Notice also, Notice Jesus' rebuke against these religious leaders. In verses 2 and 3 we read, He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of a times.' As a result of their demand, Jesus rebukes them. He points out their spiritual Ignorance. These men could read the sky and predict impending storms, yet they were unable to see the prophetic scriptures coming to life right before their very eyes. Jesus was the embodiment of the Word of God coming to life. Hundreds of prophecies were were fulfilled through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet the living Word that was standing before these religious leaders was unrecognizable to them. John the Baptist, he came preaching a message telling the people that the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures had come to dwell in their midst and they needed to get their hearts and lives ready for His appearing. I think you and I are guilty at times of being oblivious to the fulfillment of Scripture taking place in our lives, aren't we? As believers, we should be longing for the day that Jesus Christ... Is going to return. You know one day that Jesus is going to return, right? You know that one day you and I may be just driving down the road and in an instant the Lord Jesus Christ may come and snatch us away. You know that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom here on this earth. The first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes though, he will come as the conquering king. He will defeat his foes once and for all. We know these things are going to happen because God's word has revealed to us that these These things are going to happen in the end of days. You and I are seeing many of these prophecies happening at this particular time in human history. You know, I don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. None of us know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. If anybody ever tells you that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return at this particular time and date in human history, do not believe them because Jesus Christ made it clear that he doesn't even know the time that he is going to return. Only the Father knows. We may not know the day, but Jesus did make it clear that there would be signs that will occur when the end is near didn't he? In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be um, in this passage of scripture in some weeks from now, and we're going to give great detail to this. But this morning, I want to read to you verses 3 through 14. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Is the end near? Well, we know it's nearer than it was the day that Jesus spoke these words. I pray that if you are not a believer in this room this morning, that you do not miss the signs of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, like these Pharisees and Sadducees missed the signs of his first coming. Signs are all around us. Scripture is being fulfilled in our lifetime. Israel is a nation again. And that tiny little nation will be at the epicenter of all that we read about in the book of Revelation. Israel is hated by much of the world, especially much of the Middle East. Look at all the atrocities that are occurring today in the Middle East, in parts of Asia, in parts of Europe. Much of what we see taking place there is what we read will take place in God's Word. Wars are happening. Persecution against the church is is increasing at an alarming pace. Nations like Iran and Iraq despise Israel. And we know that those nations and other nations like it will be a part of that great war that we read about in Revelations. Natural disasters are occurring in our lifetime. Even as these things are happening, what's occurring? The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like wildfires in the midst of places like this. The end is near. Now, we don't know when the return of Christ is going to be, but we need to live our lives as if Christ's return is imminent. We need to get ready for his coming. We need to be living as if his return is tomorrow. So as we continue this morning, what did Jesus do regarding this sign that they were looking for? Well, let me tell you what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not answer their wish for a sign the way they wanted for a sign because Jesus is not our personal genies. Jesus does not act Because we tell him to act, okay? What Jesus ended up doing is he gave them an an undeniable answer about what is going to occur when he made reference to that small little book in Jonah, where Jonah was thrown into, or in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, where Jonah is thrown into the belly of that great fish. And for three days and three nights, he spent in that belly. Of the well, And Jesus was saying here in this passage of Scripture that he would also spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Back in Matthew 12, we also read in verses 38 through 40 of another encounter that Jesus had with these religious leaders. In verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus would be a type of Jonah. He would be crucified and he would be laid in the tomb after his death. And three days later, what did Jesus do? He rose victoriously over death. He conquered death, and he rose to life. And through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I, too, can come and experience eternal life through Jesus. Folks, Jesus did conquer death, and he did rise to life. And so how did Jesus conclude this showdown with the religious leaders? Scripture says this, he left and departed. He simply left them and he departed. I want us to see this morning, one day, all those who have chosen to abandon the Lord and reject the Lord will receive exactly what they wanted, an eternity separated from him. This turning away of Jesus was only a sign of the day when he will give all of those who choose not to believe in Jesus Christ exactly what they want, an eternity without him. Folks, what we're reading about here this morning, this is real life. You know, I know when we turn the television on and we watch the news and we watch our favorite programs, we think that's real life. This is real life. This is going to happen one day. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. One day he's going to establish his earthly kingdom here on this earth and he will raise as a, he will rule as a conquering king. And there is coming a day of judgment when every single person in this room will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and every single one of us in this room will have to give an account for our lives. For the believer, our account will, will, will be that we will be rewarded for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the unbeliever though, For the unbeliever, they will have to give an account for every sin that they have ever committed. And then they have to hear these words, depart from me for I never knew you. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to give every single person that chooses not to believe in him on this side of eternity exactly what they want, an eternity without him. Notice our second point this morning. It is this. The spiritually clueless disciples. You know, there are so many things that I love about the disciples. And there's also so many things about the disciples that I just kind of wish I could grab them and shake them and just say, Get a clue. You know, there are times when I may have done this, actually, but there have been times when I've wanted to take my kids, grab them by their shoulders, and shake them, Listen to me, get a clue. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Read my lips. Well, this is one of those times when the disciples, man, they were just kind of oblivious to everything that Jesus had been teaching them. And all the things that had been taking place in, in their lifetime while they were with Jesus. You know, like the disciples, often I think with my stomach. These men were hungry, and they had no provisions. In verse 4, we get the idea that when when Jesus left, that it was an immediate leaving. They loaded up into their boat, and they crossed back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they got to the other side, they realized that they didn't have any provisions. They didn't have any bread to eat. So notice their hunger. In verse 5 and 6, we read, When the disciples reached the other side, They had forgotten to bring any bread. And the first part of verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, I'm sure each of them blamed each other for not bringing the provisions that they needed to, to carry on their daily lives. In the midst of their banner, though, Jesus speaks. He joins in on their conversation. Know that Jesus always wants to be a part of our conversations, doesn't he? Jesus always wants to be a part of our conversations. And sometimes, even when we don't want him to, what does he do? He butts into our conversations. And he gets involved into our conversations uninvited. Well, Jesus wants to be a part of all of our conversations. There should never be a conversation that we're having where Jesus isn't presently involved. Because every decision that we make in life needs to include the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of these disciples' banner, in the midst of their talking about their hunger pains, Jesus gets involved in their conversation. Here we see Jesus join the conversation and tells them to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What he's talking about here is he's telling the disciples to be on your guard. In verses 6 through 10, we read, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Leaven is yeast, okay? And if you are a baker, which I am not, you know that it does not take a whole lot of, of yeast to influence a dough, a dough, a, 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 some dough, right? You know that. In the Bible, leaven was often used as a picture of sin and corruption. And we especially see that when when we read of the Passover account in Exodus. One commentator wrote this. He said it was the Jewish metaphorical expression for an evil influence. To the Jewish mind, leaven was always symbolic of evil. Leaven stood for any evil influence. Any evil influence influence liable to spread through life and to corrupt it while the disciples were thinking with their stomachs jesus interjects with this life lesson he wants them to always be on their guard against outside influences just like jesus always wants us to be on our guard against outside influences you know um When did Satan try to tempt Jesus during the wilderness experience? Was it on day one of his 40-day fast, or was it on day 40? It was on day 40, wasn't it? Why did Satan attack Jesus on day 40? Because it was when Jesus was at his weakest that Satan tried to get him to stumble. When did Satan attack Peter? Was it when Jesus was right there in the midst Of Peter and the other disciples? No. It was after Jesus had been arrested and on his way to die a criminal's death that Satan attacked Peter and led him to deny Jesus on three different occasions. Folks, it is when we are at our weakest that Satan attacks. It is when we have not prayed up, read up, and armored up that Satan attacks us. Now, here is the deal. We will never not, we are never not going to be under the attack of Satan. There will never be a time when Satan is not attacking us. We have that promise in God's Word. In John 10 10, we read, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Satan is a liar. So he is going to lie to us and try to get us to lie to other people. He is a thief, so he is going to try and steal from us or even get us to steal from others. Satan is also a murderer. He is going to try to murder us, or if he can't murder us or get us to murder someone else, then he's going to try to use us as his destroyers. He's going to try and and destroy our marriages. He's going to try and use us to destroy the marriage of another person. Person, he 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 wants to destroy your purity, young people, or get you to destroy the purity of another young person. These Pharisees and Sadducees were the religious leaders of the day, but they were not true believers. They were superficial showmen at best. They had been set apart to teach the word of God. Not only were they set apart to teach as the priest of the land, but they were also entrusted to treat God's word accurately. And that these two groups did not do. The Pharisees, they were the more conservative of the two groups. Okay, They, um, they, they held to the Old Testament law man, they, they taught to the letter of the law. But there was a problem. They also had what was called the oral law, which was laws that they made up to complement the written law, or sometimes not even to complement it, just to enforce it upon people. Okay? So here's the problem with that. God's law was never intended to be restricting. And this oral law that these Pharisees created was a very restricting law. God's law was intended to be freeing, to free us, to give us life abundantly, a full life, not a restricting life. Okay, now the Sadducees, they were more of the liberal group. They only held the first five books of the Bible to be truth. And even that, they were kind of, maybe here and there, you know, believed in some of it, but not all of it. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So there was a lot of things that were different between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that is why Jesus warns these disciples and subsequently warns us as well. In verses 11 and 12, we read this. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus as he often had to do, had to spell out for the disciples exactly what it was that he was trying to communicate to them. He was not speaking to the disciples about the literal leaven that influences a lump of dough. He was speaking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Folks, just like he told the disciples to be aware of false teachers, he is also telling us in this room this morning, we need to be aware of outside influences that try to take God's Word and make it into something that it was never intended to say. Okay, You and I must guard ourselves against any teaching that is contrary to the Word of God. There are a lot of extra-biblical books that are out there today. You go down to the local bookstore and you can pick up dozens of books. Okay? Some of those books are great books. I have in my personal library. Some of those books, though, man, even though they sit on the, the New York's best-selling, even though they have sold millions of these books, that does not mean that those books are accurate. does not mean that they are biblical and truthful and beneficial. You need to take whatever it is that you read and study in your personal time outside of God's Word and make sure that it aligns with God's Word. Because there's a lot of outside influences. There's a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees that are in this world that are trying to do what? They're trying to influence us. Influence us not in a good way, but in a negative way. It just takes a little leaven. It just takes a little false teaching to influence our entire lives. Do not take extra-biblical resources as the absolute truth, okay? Because there's only one absolute truth, and that is this right here, okay? Now, some of these books, okay, that I have in my, my, my library, man, they are great books that I read and that I study that I'm inspired by because of the men and women that wrote those, okay? But those are not the Word of God. There's only one Word of God, and that is God's Word. We need to be on our guard, there are many that oppose the gospel and those people are going to try to discredit the gospel as well. They're going to attempt to do this by telling you that God's word is no longer relevant in our day. We see this every single day that we turn the the news on and we hear an interview between one individual, and maybe it's a Christian or a preacher, and they are trying to discredit God's Word by make God, making God's Word irrelevant. They are trying to say, if you believe this or if you believe they, that, then you are intolerant. For example, abortion. Okay? Tolerant people say that it is a woman's right. What does God's Word say? God's Word says it's murder. Okay? period. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it, okay? Homosexuality. If you are against this lifestyle, guess what you are? You are intolerant, okay? The world has told us that we're intolerant. What does God's Word say? Okay, God's Word says it's a sin. This is our authority, not some newscaster on some news radio station or some news station. God's Word is what is absolute and what is relevant, okay? Okay? Divorce. This world tells us it happens, and it's just part of life. Okay, what does God's Word say? God's Word says that divorce is a sin, doesn't it? Okay, despite what this world tells us, there's only one absolute truth, and that is God's Word, and we must live our lives based on God's Word. Satan is trying to use others to plant seeds of doubt in our minds. When we begin to doubt God's word, God help us all, okay? The world is trying to influence us, okay? The world is trying to tell us that certain things are okay, even though when we read God's word, we know it's not okay. And so what do we eventually do? We begin to what? Not allow God's word to mold us, but oftentimes we'll allow this world to mold us, mold us, these outside influences to mold us. There's only one absolute truth, and that's God's Word. If God's Word says it, then God's Word is true. We must live our lives based upon this Word. Okay? Understand, okay? There's a lot of difficult verses in this Bible. Okay? There's a lot of things within God's Word that if you make a commitment that you're going to obey God's Word and that you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there are some things within this that is going to be hard for you to stomach, okay? There are things in this world that is hard for me to stomach as well. The fact that I may die for being a Christian. The fact that one day I may stand in a pulpit and there may be somebody come through those doors and arrest me. okay we got missionaries that are around this world i mean that you know every heartbeat, two Bibles are being distributed okay. Those Bibles aren't just being distributed in the good old United States of America. Those Bibles are being distributed in some of the hardest places on this planet where people oppose the gospel more than they oppose anything else. And because these men are standing on street corners and giving out these Bibles, there's a chance they may be arrested and maybe even put to death. Okay? God's Word says these things are going to happen. Okay, that's hard for us to stomach, isn't it? But God's Word is, is, is true. God's Word is reliable. God's Word promises us that when we close our eyes on this side of eternity, what's going to happen? We're going to open our eyes on the other side of eternity. Okay, when, when Clyde and Laverne Hesser, both who went home to be with the Lord this week, as a 96-year-old and a 97-year-old, when they closed their eyes on this side of eternity, they awoke in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there are going to be times in our lives Okay, when we may know somebody that we love with all of our hearts that, that that lose their life because they stood by God's word and they upheld God's word and they preached from God's word. Okay. We don't mourn their deaths. We celebrate their deaths because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Every single one of us in this room one day are going to take our final breath on this side of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that every breath that I've taken on this side of eternity has counted for the Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I make that commitment as we go throughout this year, as we go throughout our lives, that we're going to make our lives count for Jesus, our breaths count for Jesus. You may be here in this room this morning and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be just like these religious leaders. Lord Jesus Christ has been speaking to you, has been leading you to make a decision to follow after him. Man, this may be a decision that the Lord, you've been wrestling with for 50 years and you have just constantly denied and said, no, 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 I got more time. I can do this tomorrow. I can do it the next day. Well, the book of James tells us that we're not promised tomorrow, are we? We're only promised this moment. So don't delay. If you're in this room and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and become a believer of Christ. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while, and the Lord is leading you to come and make this your faith home. If that's you, then invite you to come this morning you may need to just at your seat just remain seated and you may need to just pray um, that the lord will just help you process what it is that we have we have read this morning in god's word and what we've talked about this morning i don't know what your decision needs to be but let's stand together i'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and and at the conclusion of that prayer if there's a decision you need to make you come you come let's pray father god thank you for this morning Father, thank you for the promises of your word. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I know that this morning has been one of those messages, Father, that's kind of been um, easy, even as I've wrestled over this message for the past couple of weeks, Lord, it's been hard um, for me to even put into words that which you would have me to communicate. So if it's hard for me to put it down, then I'm sure that it's hard for, for, for people to process as well. And so, Father, I pray that your word has just been received this morning. I pray that your word has just spoken to each one of our hearts this morning. Father, if there's a decision that, that needs to be made, Father, I pray that you'll lead people under yourself. If there is a person in this room this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that this morning they will take a step of faith, and they will make a commitment this morning that they're going to they're gonna come down here and meet me and just say, hey, I'm not a Christian, but I want to know how I can become a Christian. There may be um, families in this room or men and women in this room that have been visiting this church for a while, and today's the day, Lord, that you're leading them to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. And I pray that you'll lead us now during this time of invitation. If you're here this morning you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You don't know if you were to take your final breath on this side of eternity today where you would spend all of eternity. Come this morning. We're just going to do some instruments just briefly. I want every head bowed and every eye closed if you don't mind. Let's just pray right now. okay? Let's just allow the Lord to speak to us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be standing here right now, and I want you to come. I want you to just come out of your pew. The person beside you will let you out if you're not on the end. And this morning, come if you don't know Jesus.